All right, we're going to go ahead and get started. That way, hopefully, I'll be done by one today. So last week, we left off with Jacob and his 12 sons dying in Egypt. Jacob's family greatly multiplied, and there now was a new pharaoh in Egypt. The pharaoh made the Israelites slaves and treated them real badly. Moses was born. He killed an Egyptian, and that's where we picked off last week. But uh, before I get too far, let me go ahead and pray. Uh, Father in heaven, thank you. Thank you for your words. Thank you that we can learn from you. I just pray that you speak to everyone's heart in here, that you use this same God that spoke to a different culture, the people that spoke in a different language, and you would speak to our individual hearts and to us collectively, bringing us in one accord to become more like the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So now we pick up, and Moses is hiding in Midian. Moses rescues a uh, lady from some shepherds. They get married. They start a family. Sounds like a Hallmark movie with a knight in shining armor kind of thing. And so Moses is doing the shepherd thing. And then all of a sudden, Moses sees a bush burning that isn't being consumed. And we can find this in Exodus 3, 2 through 6. And when you find it, please stand for the reading of God's word. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw, though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see what this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. You may be seated. So the first thing we should sort out is who is speaking. Uh, Verse 2 says, an angel of the Lord appears in the bush. It appears that the Lord... The father sees Moses, and then the angel speaks. The Greek word used for angel also can be translated as messenger. And in this context of the passage, I think that would be a better translation. And let me explain why I think this. When Jesus was, or was Jesus considered a messenger? And can we see that anywhere in the New Testament? Well, I think a good example would be John 3, 34 through 36. We pick up on John the Baptist talking about Jesus, and it reads, For the one whom God has sent speaks the word of God. For God gives the Spirit without limit. The Father loves the Son and has placed everything in his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. We see here that Jesus was sent to give a message from God. John in the previous passage talks about how Jesus is a different messenger than the others, that he was not only a messenger, but he also was a witness because unlike the other prophets, Jesus came down from heaven. 
So we know that Jesus was considered a messenger, but is there anything else that might indicate Jesus as being in the fire? So in the context uh, of the burning bush, it says, Lord or Yahweh sees, uh, um, sees, so he sees what happens, and it says, then the angel or messenger speaks. And we see out of the bush, it says, God spoke. And that word uh, used for God is Elohim, which uh, doesn't only mean God, but it's also used as false gods, spiritual beings, angels. It can also be used as kings, princes, leaders, or great people. The messenger or angel referred in as Elohim in Exodus 3-4. In that verse 6, it also says, Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. So then in Exodus 3.14, it says, And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. Now let's look at what Jesus told the Pharisees about himself in John 8.58. Very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, Before Abraham was born, I am. At this, they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. Notice his wording. Do you see the trend of Elohim, of Abraham and Jacob? And he wants to be called the I Am. And then Jesus reveals to the Pharisees that he is the I Am. And I'm thinking probably the Pharisees thought back to the burning bush, and that's why they picked up stones to try to stone him. And think about it, that Jesus was before Abraham, which also hints to the Pharisees that he is eternal. So let's see, where was Jesus during the time of Moses? Well, Paul tells us Christ accompanied Moses. We see this in 1 Corinthians 10, 3 and 4. They ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. In my mind, with everything that the scriptures tell us that the Elohim or God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that that same God is Jesus, right there with the Father in the burning bush, and that Jesus is the messenger in that bush, because he is the word of God. And as we know, Jesus only speaks what the Father tells him to speak. And it would make sense for Jesus to be called that messenger. And I know that this is one of those complex things, so I just kind of wanted to take you through it so I could show it to you. So that way, if you're talking to somebody else um, and they say, why do you think that in Exodus 3 that that was Jesus? You don't just say, my pastor told me so. But you're able to actually kind of walk them through it a little bit. So we have the Father and the Son in the burning bush. And then now God calls Moses to do a huge task. Moses just started a family. He's doing the shepherd thing. Not having to worry about all that drama in Egypt. 
from the bush, God calls Moses to lead Israel out of Egypt. And Moses makes excuse after excuse on why he's not supposed to go. Do we ever make excuses why God should pick other people to do what he's called us to do? I mean, I know I have. It's much easier to stay in Midian with his wife plus two kids and do the family thing. Easier isn't always better. Moses does eventually accept his calling. And as I read further, uh, I can't help but notice some of the similarities of the gospel message given to Moses and the gospel given to us. And I wanted to talk about three important similarities. We find this in Exodus 3, 16 through 22. It says, Go assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, The Lord the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob appeared to me and said, I have watched over you and have seen what has been done to you in Egypt. And I have promised to bring you out of your misery in Egypt into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hevitites, the Jebusites, all the Tites, uh, to a land flowing with milk and honey. So I'm guessing any time you saw tights, they were like, we ain't talking to those guys. But uh, the elders of Israel will listen to you, and then you and the elders are to go to the king of Egypt and say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. Let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord, our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. So I will stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them. After that, he will let you go. And I will make the Egyptians favorably disposed towards the people. So that when you leave, you will not go empty-handed. Every woman is to ask her neighbor and any woman living in her house for articles of silver and gold and for clothing, which you will put on your sons and daughters. And so you will plunder the Egyptians. So gospel similarity number one. The Israelites are saved by grace. They are not being saved because they're awesome people. They are being saved because of God's purposes and plans for them. God made a promise to Abraham to bless him and make his descendants numerous. God cares about them and hears their prayers. Just like God cares and hears the prayers of his born-again children. The people of Israel were stuck in Egypt for about 400 years. But God is patient. So maybe you have been praying for a while and feel like God doesn't care. He cares a great deal for his people. The same grace that saved them from slavery saves us from slavery. And we find this in John 8, 31 through 36. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciple. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? 
Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Jesus sets us free from slavery. Well, how do we know this is grace? Well, Titus 2, 11 and 12 explains this. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Grace empowers us not to be slaves of sin. It teaches us to say no. The world has snuck into the church and has taught people that they can't be free from sin. Does this mean that every Christian will never sin again? No. The Christian could sin, but now they have the power through grace to say no. If you do sin, a Christian has to turn away from that sin and ask for forgiveness. And at the end of the service, we always read James, and he tells us that we should confess our sins to each other and be healed. Because sin hurts us spiritually and can physically, and we need healing. Just like the slavery in Egypt hurt the Israelites, the slavery hurts us here in the present age. The majority of Christian media teaches us a different grace than the Bible. They have taught God doesn't have the ability to see our sin if you just believe that he died on the cross. That's not the grace taught in the Bible. And that doesn't all match the new covenant that was predicted in the Old Testament. God gives us his grace to us because his perfect purposes and his love for us. He wants us to be holy and separate from the world. Just like God wants Israel to be holy and separate from Egypt. As the Bible teaches, it's not by grace alone. You also have to have faith. So gospel similarity number two. In Israel, the people had to believe Moses was sent by God with instructions. And just like them, we have to have faith and believe God sent Jesus with instructions. The Israelites had to follow Moses, and we have to follow Jesus. They had to believe that God will save them from the Pharaoh, and we have to believe that God will deliver us from invisible dark forces that try to enslave us. Now, true biblical faith moves us, as it says in James 2.17. In the same way, faith by itself is not accompanied by action. It is dead. If Moses stays in Midian, do the people in Egypt get saved? If your faith doesn't move you to follow Jesus, are you going to be saved? Think of it this way. If you were in Egypt and someone bought you out of slavery and you decided that you like being the victim or something, so you stay in Egypt, are you saved from being a slave? Jesus paid a high price so we wouldn't stay in Egypt as a slave to sin. There are people who love to sin and say they are saved. 
Jesus speaks about how people who claim Christ as their Lord can be unaware of their spiritual condition. This is found in Revelation 3, 16 and 17. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Jesus tells the people of this church, these believers, that they need to do something about that. He warns them about their spiritual condition. And that's why we examine ourselves. And now remember how we talked about Jesus in the fire? Remember that when you read this next verse about Moses' faith. This is found in Hebrews eleven twenty four through 27. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of the Pharaoh's daughter. He had chosen to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ. That's Moses and Christ. As greater value than the treasures of Egypt. Because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith he left Egypt. Not fearing the king's anger, he preserved preserved because he saw him who was invisible. Moses had faith in Christ. Did you realize that the Israelites had the option to be saved by faith? Gospel similarities. Number three, hope. And as scripture says, as we just read, Moses was looking forward to his reward. It's this hope that works with faith that motivates. If we are putting our hope in the world, we are going to be disappointed. What are our goals? Are they spiritual? It's okay to have goals that aren't spiritual, but it isn't okay if we prioritize them over our spiritual goals. Hope keeps us from being complacent. I think that's why God let the Israelites know 400 years prior that the Israelites would be freed from living in that foreign land. I think that's why God lets us know this place we are right now isn't our home. We are foreigners on a journey to heaven. We aren't citizens of this world. We have a king who loved in the greatest way by laying his life down. That's where our true citizenship is. We are on our faith work visa and should be longing to be with our Father in heaven. God also told Abraham that they would be rewarded, and Jesus tells us we will be rewarded. That when God's children make it home, that the streets are made of gold. That we won't have any pain or suffering anymore. That there will be many mansions prepared for his people. Are we excited about that? When is the last time you picked up some nasty coffee or ate some food that was too cold? I know my family had experienced that just recently. I won't get in that. I'll just say there was a bunch of cats missing moms, and we're just not sure that that was a coincidence. Um, But I, I know one thing for sure is... It won't be like that in heaven. 
God is going to make everything perfect in heaven. And he wants to bless his children. It's common to hear a prosperity preaching. And that's where usually a false teacher will look at the whole crowd and tell them God wants to bless the whole crowd and make them rich. They will tell them you are going to be blessed right now here on this earth. And I do believe God blesses people. But he also allows a lot of people not to have money also. I want you to think about how many different people on TV or in an audience there are and for God to give them all the same word. And then usually the prosperity preacher will follow up with a reason why God wants you to specifically all these people to give to his ministry that he's associated with. It's not that I don't think God has the ability to bless all those people. The problem is you hear all these people and you hear it, they hear this all the time, but you never hear anybody say, hey, every single person in that room and that watch the TV are rich after it happens. But God wants us to put our hope and our riches in the life to come. Jesus says that the Christian life is even more difficult for those who are rich. As Jesus says in Luke 18, 24 through 27, Jesus looked at him and said, How hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked, Who can be saved? Jesus replied, What is impossible for man is possible with God. It is possible through Christ for a rich person to enter heaven. But it's a lot easier if they are not already chasing wealth. It's a lot easier easier if you have already put your hope in God and in the spiritual riches that he has in store for us. So in summary, just like Moses put his faith in Christ, Let's put our faith in Christ. Let's pursue the grace that comes from God, the true grace that comes from God and saves us from slavery to sin. Let's have faith that moves us out of slavery and towards hope. Let our hope be in spiritual things and let us put our hope entirely in God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you. Thank you for giving us so many lessons that we can look back and see Christ all the way back in the time of Moses. To see your love for your people then and your love for us now. And that you didn't leave us without a shepherd to show us how to go. I just pray as we go throughout the week that we hear your voice, that we pursue you, that we don't even think about one day of not pursuing what you have in store for us. Because whatever it is, even if It's coming out of slavery or in a land that we don't want to be in. We know it's better no matter what if you're involved. So I just pray that you bless all of us. In Jesus' name I pray.